0: Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peak's Downloadable Messages. This week, Lead Pastor Mike Yearly wraps up his three-part series entitled, A Fresh Look at the Ancient Church. And today he'll bring us the third and final message entitled, The Signature of the Supernatural. Well, today we're continuing and finishing up this series that we've been in for three weeks now. It's the third week called Doing Life Together. It's A Fresh Look at the Ancient Church. And if you've been here the last couple weeks, you kind of know the point of this series. Uh, what we're doing is we're going back as we're preparing for the fall as a church to move into our future together. And especially as we're preparing to launch our life groups this week. I wanted to take three weeks to go back and revisit the ancient church and say, what was life really like when the Holy Spirit first came to the ancient church and they had these new instincts and, and new priorities that it kind of came into their life through the Holy Spirit. What was life like and what should we be shooting for as a church? What does it look like to be the church of Jesus Christ? And so we've, we've spent three weeks on that. The first week, we talked about the start of something new. We went back to the opening day of the ancient church and looked at some of those instincts and priorities that emerged as the Holy Spirit came on their life. Then last week, we talked about the metaphors of the movement. And we saw that every great movement has certain metaphors or word pictures that help define what that movement's all about. And we saw that God has some metaphors that he carefully chose to communicate his vision. We looked at three of those metaphors. And then today, we're going to be talking about the signature of the supernatural. You see, the church has always been a supernatural movement from day one. It's the way God puts his signature on it to say, this one's from me. You know, it's like an artist. If, you know, an artist has a beautiful painting at the bottom. They always put their signature down there, don't they? And it's like, it says, this is authentic. This is one of mine. I did this. Well, the way that God puts his signature on movements is by the supernatural. He does things that no one else could do. And he says, this one's mine. He puts his signature on it. And so today we're going to be talking about that. And you have a section there in your note sheet called the signs of the supernatural. Uh, if you go back and study the story of the ancient church, one thing that just stands out From the very beginning, how supernatural it was. You remember, a couple weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 2. We saw this, how on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit first came to the ancient church, the supernatural was there. In other words, that, you remember that um, all the believers in the upper room, they, they spoke in languages that they'd never learned. It just happened. There was the violent wind. There was the, the tongues of fire. The whole thing was supernatural. The crowd develops. Peter preaches a sermon. And he says, you know, if you follow Jesus, you can have a supernatural life too. That was his message, that this gift of the Holy Spirit that you're seeing is not just for us, it's it's for anyone who follows Jesus. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles. Let's revisit that. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Um, So it's the end of his sermon, Peter's sermon that day, and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So he says, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to give your life to Christ, You need to become a follower of Jesus. And he says, if you do that, two things will happen. Number one is that you'll receive the forgiveness of sins. You'll receive spiritual amnesty from every sin you ever committed, every act of rebellion against God. When you come to Jesus, that'll be forgiven. So that's gift number one. But there's a second gift. And he says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he says, right now you see the Holy Spirit operating. You just heard the sound. You saw the tongues of fire. We're all speaking in languages we never learned. And we're announcing what God's doing through Jesus Christ. And people are coming. And you've seen the supernatural stuff. He said, you know, that gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not just for us. It's for all of us. If you give your life to Jesus, he wants to come into your life and transform you and give you a supernatural life. And so right away... 3,000 people became Christians, and they did begin to live a supernatural life. Some of it was internal. God began to change them from the inside out. We looked at this a few weeks ago. They had a new hunger for the apostles' teaching. Who is this Jesus, and how can we follow him? They began to take care of one another. They they had a heart to to be together and commitment to the fellowship, and we studied all that. But there were also some very specific supernatural external things going on in their lives. So, for example, in chapter 2 here, in verse 43... Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs. See that word signs? The signs of the supernatural. Many signs that something supernatural was happening, was going on. If you turn over a couple pages to chapter 5 of Acts, we see that this was sort of a way of life for the early church. Verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12. the apostles performed many miraculous signs. See that word signs again? Signs of the supernatural. Many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Verse 15, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets, had them lay on their beds and mats so at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. And so it, the movement was just flat-out supernatural. I mean, it's just there's no question about it. It started out that way. You go through the book of Acts, and pretty much every chapter, especially in the first half of the book, every chapter something supernatural is happening. Uh, chapter 3, there's a man who's been lame since birth, and Peter and John heal him. Chapter 4, the whole church is praying together in a house, and the, and the whole building is shaken. The Holy Spirit comes and fills them up again, second time. Uh, chapter Five. Ananias and Sapphira decide to lie about how much money they 're giving to the church. God strikes them dead. yeah <laughs> not all supernatural things you want to have happen in your body okay in your fellowship uh, chapter seven stephen he's while he 's being stoned you know the the old fashioned way um, and <laughs> So he's being stoned, and you remember he has a vision of Jesus by the right hand of God. Chapter 8, Philip is transported, like Star Trek-like, from one location to another so he can share Jesus with the Ethiopian treasure of the whole government. Chapter 9, a lady named Dorcas is raised from the dead. Sorry, you know, she didn't get a new name too bad, but she came back and, all right, Chapter ten, a vision, Peter has a vision of heaven, and it just goes on and on like this through the whole book. It's a supernatural movement from start to finish. Now, I want to say this. That in the book of Acts is a story, it's the highlight film of the first thirty years of the church. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think like, well, this was happening every day. Well, no, it was it's a thirty year highlight film. And thirty years is a long time. But there's no question it was a very supernatural movement. And it's not just in the book of Acts we see it. We see it in the rest of the New Testament. For example, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it's written to the church at Corinth. And the church of Corinth, very interesting church, one of the most messed up churches in the whole New Testament. And yet, one of the most supernatural churches. So you see that God doesn't wait till we get our acts together to start doing supernatural stuff, you know? He's like, okay, you know, you're all messed up. Let me start fixing you up and start doing some supernatural stuff. And so in that book, in chapter 12, we have some of the clearest teaching in the New Testament about supernatural stuff, about spiritual gifts. what we're taught is that every time a person comes to Jesus, that not only are sins forgiven, not only does the Holy Spirit come into our life, but the Holy Spirit gives to each follower of Jesus some unique abilities to supernaturally serve others in the community. We call those spiritual gifts, gifts from the Spirit, supernatural gifts. And Paul lays it out in chapter 12. There's gives a bunch of examples of gifts. Well, in chapter 14, when we get to chapter 14, Paul actually takes us to an early ancient church worship service. Now, you remember that in the early church, they didn't have huge buildings like this. And so when they would do church, they would do it in homes, much like our life group. So we're going to be launching this week. So it'd be small and pretty large homes, but, you know, smaller services than this. And in chapter 14, he actually gives us a window into what life was like in the ancient church. And and we're going to see how supernatural it was. Now, I'm not saying that every service was exactly like this, but it's the one place in the New Testament he actually kind of describes for us what it might have looked like in the ancient church. I want you to turn there. 1 Corinthians 14. Chapter 14, we will look at verse 26. Start there. Now, he says, what shall we say then, brothers, um, when, we, when you come together? In other words, when you come together for your church service, that's the context. He says, everyone needs to bring something. Okay, and this is the overall point in this passage. He says, when you come together um, in your church, everyone has, needs to bring something. Everyone needs to bring what God has given them supernaturally to bring. That's his point. So he says, when you come together, everyone has a hymn. Like some people, he says, when you come to your church service, you know, again, picture this like a home service, um, everyone has a hymn or maybe a word of instruction. Someone brings a word of teaching, something to share with the group that God's taught them. Uh, someone else might bring a revelation. Now, this would be something that God has supernaturally downloaded to someone, something, a message for the group. The next example, he says, or someone has a tongue or an interpretation. You know, the, in the, we saw this in Acts chapter two, a couple of weeks ago, when the early church, the Holy Spirit came on the leadership there, they spoke in languages, or tongues, that same word in the, in the original. They spoke in languages that they'd never learned. And, uh, of course that worked out well in Jerusalem, because there was all these Jewish pilgrims who'd come from all over the world to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and so they all got to hear the message of Christ in their native tongue. Well, uh, he said, Uh, some of you might have a gift of speaking another language you never learned and you might bring that to your fellowship. And he said, however, you need some interpretation because if if I can't speak the same language as you and you're speaking a different language, I'm not going to get it. So you're going to need someone there to interpret that. Okay? And so um, he says, but all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. That's the point. We all come together. We all bring our supernatural gifts and they're all brought so we can strengthen the whole church. Verse twenty nine. Two or three prophets should speak. Now, uh, Bible scholars will disagree over what is a prophet. You know, and some some Bible scholars say, "Well, what that means is it's someone who is gifted to teach God's word, like a sermon or something like that." Others will say, "No, I think it's really more like the Old Testament prophets, where they would God would give a specific message to someone for the specific congregation at the specific time." But whatever, it doesn't really matter for our purposes. Two or three <laughs> prophets should speak. And the others should weigh carefully what's said. After they speak, the congregation should say, does that sound like something God would say? Is, is that, does that make sense? Does that fit with what we know of God? And they should weigh it. And so the point is, when you come together, he says, everyone brings something. Everyone bring a supernatural, what God's given you. Go back to verse 23. He gives us a little bit more, more information about this church service and how it needs to be done in an orderly way. He says, So if the whole church comes together and everyone's speaking in tongues, these languages they never learned, and some who don't understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Now, I love this. Paul's so practical. He says, Oh, that's great. God's given you the gift of speaking in a language you never learned. Really cool. But how about if, you know, we're all in church and everyone's doing this thing and someone comes in who's not even a follower of Jesus yet, not even experienced the Holy Spirit changing their life. They don't know what's going on. They're going to think you're all crazy, you know? You may have been in a church like that before. Some of you may have been in a church like this before. And so he says, hey, come on, use your heads. He says, but, in verse 24, but if an unbeliever or someone who doesn't understand, they come in while everyone's prophesying, so they're speaking. Here's a message that God's given me for the group. He'll be convinced by all uh, that he's a sinner and he'll be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. Like, how did you know that? And so he'll fall down and worship God. And here's our line, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, here's the thing I want you to catch. It's that last line we want to focus in on. This is a definition of a church. A church is where God shows up. You see? God is really among you. That is the mark of a church. What does it mean here at the church of Rocky Peak to be a church. It means that God shows up. You see, the church has always been a supernatural movement. From the very first opening day in Acts chapter 2 until this very day all over the world, God is on the move. It's a supernatural movement. And so the question for us here is what does it take for us here at Rocky Peak to experience The move of God. What does it take? Whether it's in our weekend services or in our midweek small churches, 120 of them, all meeting all over three valleys. What does it take to experience the presence of God? Now, if you turn your page in your note sheet, I have a section there called Creating Space for the Supernatural. Three important implications from these passages we've just been looking at. What does it mean to create space for God to work in a group of people? And I just want to go over real quickly three important implications. Number one, if the church is supernatural, if that's really true, then we need to expect God to show up. Have you ever been to a place where maybe you've gone to church? It could be here, it could be somewhere else. But you come in and you just get the feeling that, hey, we're just going through the motions here. It's like, you know, we're just kind of, okay, we're going to do five things today. Do one, check them off our list. We did two, we did three, we did four. Oh, ten minutes left. Boom, we're done. Let's out. Time for brunch, you know. Uh, there's some churches like that, that you go, and we're just kind of going through the motions. We're just running through the routine. But one of the implications is, is no, the church is a supernatural movement. And if that's true, then we need to expect him to show up. Whether it's here at our weekend services, or whether it's in our midweek mini-churches, meeting all throughout this area. You know, Jesus once said something that's extremely profound, but it's so f- uh, familiar to us, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, that it often becomes a cliche. And that's, of course, great danger because we miss the power of what he was saying. Look there on your note sheet, Matthew eighteen twenty. Jesus says, For where two or three come together in my name, now underline that, in my name, Now, this is not three friends getting together to play video games, as cool as that is. This is not three buddies going to Dodger Stadium. It's not three ladies meeting at the gym to work out together or or, or to talk about their kids, whatever. This is, in my name, means that when people come together to meet with Christ, when people come together to say, Jesus, we're here, what do you want us to do? He says, when that happens... When you gather in my name, something supernatural happens. It says, there am I with them. You see that? And I want us to read this together like it's a responsive reading, except we're not going to respond. We're just going to read it all at once. Okay, let's read this together. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Let's read it again. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. You see that? What that means, if we believe that's true, then that means we need to expect the supernatural. You see? Too many times we can come together, and we're just not really expecting God to show up. I'll tell you what. The moment we walk through those doors on a weekend service, we walk through... We need to get ready to say, what do you want to happen today? We need to be preparing ourselves. Uh, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? What do you want to have happen in this, in this time we're spending together? We're gathering in your name. Let me ask you a question. When you came together today, when you came in, were you coming to meet in his name? That depends. That depends. For some of us, very much may have been, the reason you came together is you came to, we came so we could meet together in his name. For others of us, if we're honest, it may not be the case. It may just be it's Sunday morning, that's what we do. It may just be, well, I probably should do it, it's probably good for me, you see. But Jesus says, no, can you imagine the power that happens in a congregation where people gather in his name? We come together because we want to be with you, Jesus. And we want to listen to you. And we want to open our lives to you. We want to receive direction from you. We want to experience your power. We come together in your name. You see, what Jesus is saying is when people come together, it doesn't matter whether it's two buddies at a restaurant or 15 people in a life group or a 1,000 people at a weekend service here. doesn't matter. He says when two or three people from Rocky Peak, they get together, and they're in my presence, and they're around my word, and they're coming to hear my voice, and they're saying, Jesus, what do you want? He says, I'm going to show up. Now, we want to create that expectancy in our congregation, whether it's here in our weekend services, or whether it's in these these life groups you're going to. When you go, we need to be going each week saying, what does Jesus want to do in this gathering, this time? Number two, there's a second implication. If the church is supernatural, then we need to learn to go with the flow. Now, don't get nervous here. Some of you are like, hey, Martha is about to start rolling in the aisles. Uh, no, no, no. All I'm saying is that if this is a supernatural meeting that we have, whether it's here or in our life groups, then we need to be willing to say, okay, sometimes we have to take what we plan and put it aside because God's got something else planned here. And so those can be some of the very best meeting, uh, b- very best times that we have together. Now, for our weekend services or larger services, tougher to be flexibility. Or to have flexibility. A lot of that flexibility is going to come in the planning of the service. I really believe that God is like the number one planner in the universe. He does everything after the counsel of His will. The Lord said it in Ephesians chapter one. So God is not anti-planning. In fact. And there are some Christians who tend to believe the more spontaneous something is then the more spiritual it is. I don't believe that's true at all. You see, God is a great planner. And so most of the times, God is going to give us great ideas before we do whatever we do, and he's going to work through those plans. That's how he works. Like, I don't get up here on a Sunday and say, so what do I say today? You know? It's like... But all week long, as I've been preparing, I sense his spirit. This is where we want to go. I sense he's planning. Now, when I'm up here, guess what? There might be some new things he throws my way. And, whoa, we're going this way now. The wind's changing. And that's good. But most of it is planned. Most of it's been planned as he's directed me. And that's the way I think all of life is, is that God honors that kind of planning. So I'm not saying that we throw out planning but even at a large service like this, there can be times where God wants to do something different. For example, if you were here last week and we prayed for Jan Roper and her and her voice, and that wasn't something that wasn't planned, that wasn't in the notes, we didn't talk about it during the week, as I was down there doing worship and I just this idea came, it just seemed like it was from the Lord, we need to pray for Jan, okay, and so we're going to do that, we're going to pray for Jan. If you were here last spring, we did that series 11 laws to live by, and there was one law in the law of unity. And you remember, I wasn't planning on it that morning. I woke up early in the morning, and I felt like we need a, we need a new start as a congregation. We need to come together. We need to let the p- go of the past. We need to ask God to forgive us and cleanse us and let go of any bitterness we have and move into our future. And you remember that day, if you were here, we came forward together in mass and knelt before God, you see? What was that? Was God wanted to do something different? We needed to go with the flow. There'll be times like that, but you know what? It's true in the weekend services, but it's especially true in these life groups that you're going to. And let me tell you why this is so important. This week, we're going to be launching these life groups. You're going to go. And we've put so much work into these. I mean... We've uh, recruited leaders, we've recruited hosts, we've trained the leaders and trained the hosts. We put together that booklet to help you find just the right group for you. We're going to write write curriculum every week that goes hand in glove, the weekend message, so it can be the best learning experience possible for you. And so we are really working hard and planning this thing out. But I'll tell you something, that there are going to be times when you go to your group and God has something different planned for that particular group you're going to be in worship if your group does worship. You're going to be in worship, and the presence of God is going to be there. And guess what? If God's really on the move in worship, you may need to extend that time of worship and go into a time of prayer instead of going to study and then prayer at the end. You may have a night where you're, you're just studying and light bulbs are going on for people, and the sharing's so good, and it would just be such a mistake to clamp it down and just go, we've got to go to prayer now. It's Time's running out. There are going to be times in your group When sometimes early in the meeting, maybe during worship or right after worship, or maybe during your sharing time, where someone decides to open up and ask for some special prayer about a huge need in their life, maybe something they've never shared with anyone else before. And it's going to be so deep and so meaningful. And the best thing for you to do is going to be take the curriculum and throw it out the window. This is not a night for study. This is a night to listen and to pray and to heal. You see what I'm saying? Is that God's going to have an agenda, and we don't want to come through in our life groups and just kind of go, okay, we're going to do A, B, C, D, E, done, dessert. <laughs> By the way, the Lord will never lead you to skip dessert. I just kind of, I just want to tell you that. Like... But, you know, we can get we can get in that mode, can't we? We just kind of, we come in and we just kind of do our thing and no, we want to come together. We are the people of God. We're, so we're gathering around the Word of God. We are in the presence of God and Jesus is there because we're coming in His name and he, we want to be open to what He wants to do, don't we? We want to invite Him in and so you're our leader and you're our head and so we're listening for what you want to do. Okay. Number three. The third implication. Is that if the church is supernatural, if that's really true, then we need to bring something to share, when we meet. We saw this in 1 Corinthians 14. It's one of the reasons I had us go there. is he says, "When you meet, when you gather together, everyone brings something. Remember that you bring a hymn, you bring a, a prophecy, you bring a revelation, you bring a teaching or whatever. He could have gone on all kinds of ways. He could have said, uh, someone brings a prayer request, someone brings an insight, someone brings an a, a, a act of mercy, someone brings practical help. You know, it could be, there's a lot of different gifts. He's just giving some examples. But the principle is, when you meet together, that everyone brings something. Now, this is especially true as we come together in our life groups this fall. We need to bring this, what is it, the Lord has for you to bring to your group? How has he uniquely gifted you supernaturally to build up this small church that you're going to be part of? John Wimber once said, a quote there in your note sheet, I love this, he said, every gathering of Christians is a sharing of gifts. So we come together in a small group, I've got my gifts and you have yours, and we're going to share with one another, it's like Christmas, here's your gift, here's my gift. Now, one analogy I've often used to describe this just, uh, I've found so helpful is I, I call a meeting like this when you go to your small group this week I call it a spiritual potluck. Okay? Now you know how a potluck works. Like this week if you're in a life group you're going to start with a potluck unless you're like 5.30 in the morning and then you can bring different kinds of lattes or something and share that. But most of our groups will be meeting in a pot, you know, having a potluck. And so you'll come together and everyone's going to bring something. Now of course the secret of a great potluck is that everyone brings their dish, right? That's it. Have you ever been to a potluck where people, like, don't bring their dish? It's, like, such a bummer. Um, like, for example, let's say let's say that your, um, your theme is Italian food, okay? And so the hostess called through the group, and, okay, will you bring the French bread? And will you bring the green salad? And will you bring the, the pasta? And will you bring the meat sauce? And uh, will you bring the cannolis? And so um, everyone's going to bring something, right? And so you come together. And like, what happens if the cannoli guy doesn't show up? You know? know, Or the meat sauce. Mr. Meat Sauce doesn't show. It's like, anyone got any butter, you know, for the pasta? It's, you know, a little garlic. Uh, You see what happens? It's just not the same. Or what if someone shows up and says, I know I was supposed to bring the meat sauce, but I was just so busy this week. I just didn't have time. It's like, well, that's fine, but why don't you join a different group, right? (laughs) We're not feeling it here. Um, And so, so that's the secret of potluck. Well, here's the deal. It's such a beautiful analogy. What Paul is saying is every time you gather in Christ's name, it's like a spiritual potluck. You all need to bring something. He says one brings a hymn and one brings this and one brings that. And you all bring your gift. And as you share, guess what? The body is built up. Now, what happens? So we have a life group meeting and someone doesn't show up. They could have been there, they just don't show up. Well, we miss the meat sauce, don't we? Someone else doesn't show up. We don't have the cannolis. Someone shows up and, well, I'm here, but I didn't have time to make the salad. Well, you see what happens is that the whole meeting loses the meal they were supposed to have spiritually. God had prepared supernaturally the different gifts in your group to build up the group. If you're not there or if you don't bring your dish everyone suffers we're all in this thing together okay let's uh let's talk about this week if you flip your page over the section there called life group lunch what to expect this week i want to spend just a few minutes as we're as we're winding this thing down and talk about what to expect in your life groups this week. Now, I know that some of you have been in life groups before, and so you're, you're pretty much, you think, you know, I'm, I'm good to go. Some of you have never been in life groups. This is a huge step for you. It's scary. It's like, what are they going to do, you know? What if they, like, gather around and join hands and sing Kumbaya on the very first night, you know, it's start passing out Kool-Aid or something, you know? It's just like, this is scaring me. And, and uh, you know, so, like, what's going to happen, you know, and... How about you go and check it out and let me know how it goes and I'll come in the second week. And, uh, and so I want to I, I just walk through this, what's going to happen in your group this week. And especially, um, you know, because even though many of us have been in life groups before, that there are some new things that we're doing as well. And so there's some things probably new to most of you. So uh, there in your notes, there's three things I want to talk about just to take away all fears and just give you, you know, help you just really enter into this with a uh, great expectation. Number one, let's talk about covenants. Uh, I know some of you have been in groups before, you've done covenants, some of this is a new thing, but it's kind of scary. You know, we don't really use the word covenant a lot in our culture. Um, We use the word covenant for things like like marriage, you know, which is pretty much a big commitment, you know? And so, I I haven't even met these people, you want me to make a covenant with them? It's kind of scary. So, let's talk about that. Inside of your bulletin, you have a covenant, blue covenant. We're going to take away the mystery. The purpose of a covenant is to make sure we have a good spiritual potluck. That's all we're doing. So you look on the front side. There's a section there. I won't go through in great detail, but about their purpose. Why are we doing this? And then there, notice there's three key ingredients in every life group, sharing, study, and support. And, of course, some will add singing and some will add service, more S's, but the basic three sharing, studying, support. And then there are seven marks of a healthy group. Notice the first two are numbered, one and two. The next uh, three, they just hope you got the idea. But uh, ne- next five. But anyway, um, so you'll talk through that as a group. You know, just kind of go over what does a healthy group look like? You know, for example, like the last one, a healthy group listens well. It gives everyone a chance to share. I mean, that's just, you know, have you ever been in a group where just like three people talk the whole time? It's just really a bummer. And so you want to lay down the ground rules early that we all need to share, Okay. Now, go to the back page. On the back page, there's some logistical things. Some are just kind of making sure we're all on the same page logistically. So, for example, the dates, what night we're meeting on, how many weeks. You look at number uh, three and number four, what we're doing with children and uh, uh, what we're studying. Number six is logistical. Desserts, you know, that's important. Who's bringing desserts? Who's got the cannolis? Now, uh, number two is a little different. As you go to your group this week, you know whether you've chosen a group that's doing worship or not. You already know that. You know whether you're, you're doing a group that's doing what kind of study they're doing. You, you know that. But what about the time proportions? You're going to spend the whole time in study, just a little time in prayer, or a little more time in worship, or how you going to do that? And this is a chance for you as a group to discuss this together and to say, well, you know, I'd like it if we did. You know, a little bit more worship. Well, you know, I prefer just a couple songs because we have a short amount of time. I don't want and it gives you a chance, this is a group, to figure this out. And so, number two, we'll arrive between what times. We'll begin the meeting at a certain time. We'll, we'll spend approximately X amount of minutes in singing, uh, X amount of minutes in study and discussion, X amount of meetings in prayer. And of course, this would be flexible, but this would be kind of a general for you to talk about as a group. What would you like to see happen? okay the heart the heart of this thing though the heart of the covenant is really numbers five and seven and this is where we make a commitment to one another to do the spiritual potluck well so number five says joining a life group requires a commitment to attend each week and to do the homework ahead of time obviously allowances are made for sickness for vacation work conflicts other special events but not much more uh, this commitment is a key to a healthy group. It'll take about 30 to 60 minutes of homework a week. And so this is the point where as a group, you kind of look around each other's eyes, you catch each other's eyes in the group and say, and are you in? If you're in, I'm in. And, and we, we can make a commitment that we're gonna we're going to do this. We're going to be committed for the next 10 weeks. We're not only going to come, we're going to bring our dish. We're going to prepare. And so when we come, you know, you might come with an insight from the homework. I might not have a clue what's going on. I come with four questions. I'm a brand new Christian, and that's my contribution. Could you all help me understand this? Someone else might come with a new worship song. Someone else might come with a, something they want to share, something of vulnerability. But we're all prepared. We've, we've, we've all done the homework. We're there. We're ready to engage in whatever God wants to do. And so, so this is the heart of the covenant where we say, you know what? We're in. We want to make the most of this experience. We don't want to have a potluck that's just like pasta without meat sauce. We all want to do our part. We all want to come. Number seven's part of that too. uh, Socials. We ask that every group will do a social event together in the in the first few weeks. You figure out a time. You do something fun because of the tremendous difference it'll make in the bonding of your group uh, after that social. It would be unbelievable the difference. And so this is a way. Now you say, well. Okay, you come to the end of the meeting and you say, you know, I'm not sure I'm ready to make this commitment. You know, I seem these people seem nice enough, but I'd like to come just at least once or twice to see what it's going to be like. Is that possible to like delay my commitment once or twice? And the answer is yes, yes. In fact, at the bottom of the note sheet, bottom of the uh, covenant, it says we agree together in Christ to honor this covenant. And notice it's to be decided by each person on or before the third week. So in other words, by the end of the third week, you're either in or you're out. But, but you've got three weeks to figure this out. Now, most of you, you're going to love it the first night. You're going to say, you know, we'll have, uh, you'll keep this as a, uh, uh, as a copy of your commitment. We'll have another one that's double this size that has place for the sign. The whole group will sign it and come back here to the church for, for us to have a record of that commitment. So most of you will be all ready to go that first the first meeting. Yeah, I'm ready to go. But if if you're like skittish about this, you want to take a couple weeks, that's fine. You know, but you just ask me in the third week. So that's the covenant, okay? So mystery solved. Now you know exactly what you're going. You don't have to be afraid. We're going to ask you to do something really weird. Okay, next thing, sharing exercises. Reach inside your bulletin. Pull out your life group homework for this week. This week, after the potluck dinner, you'll go into another room probably and... Uh, you'll you'll have your meeting. It will start with a couple sharing questions. Notice the ones for this week. You're supposed to fill these out before you go. Number one, have you been in small groups before? If so, what was your best small group experience? What made it so special? What was your worst and why? Here's a hot tip. If your worst experience is the same group you were in last year, you need to be very careful how you answer that. Number two, what is one thing you'd like to see God do in your life or your group this quarter? Okay? And so, um, so here's what's going to happen. You'll, you'll answer these before you come. And as the meeting starts, you'll go around the circle and just share your answers. Here's what I'd like to see happen. Here's what I, I've been in groups before they did this. It drove me crazy. This was really positive. And this will prepare you to talk about what you'd like to see God do in your group. Now, here's the point. For the first three or four weeks, every week, we'll start off the homework with a couple sharing questions. And this is very intentional. It's going to be a little frustrating for you who want to go super deep in the Bible real fast or something. But let me tell you why we're doing it. I don't know if you've ever been in a group where in in the group, like two or three people talk the whole time. Everyone else is quiet. What happens in, in a group setting is that the norms of a group are set early. And if you don't get everyone talking early, it, patterns tend to get established. These are the talkers, these are the listeners. And so we want to have, have a way for you to be able to talk through this together and just share your life and get to know each other in a very non-threatening kind of way. And so every week we'll be, we'll be doing that for the first few weeks. And then, then we won't need it. After that, you'll all know each other, you'll be comfortable, and the, the discussion will be very free-flowing. But we'll, we'll, do, we'll start with those. Now the third area is topical prayer. One of our goals is to create groups where everyone feels comfortable praying out loud and no one dominates. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a prayer meeting where like the prayer warriors start taking off and, and, and they're praying for the missionary's third cousin in Zimbabwe <laughs> whose brother needs a tractor and, 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 and you're just holding on for dear life. I mean, you're praying... But your prayer is, Jesus, help me stay awake. Jesus, help me stay awake. You you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Have you been there? It's like, you know, we we know we're supposed to be spiritual. We're supposed to be praying. This is driving me crazy. This person's going on and on. And and, uh, that's what we want to avoid. So we want to learn to pray together as a group. And if we're going to do that, it takes two things. Number one, we have to help those of you who've never prayed out loud. And this is a really scary thing for you. We have to help you take baby steps in that direction. And so we're going to do that. It's, in the first few weeks, the prayer will be a little bit more structured. It'll be very simple. I promise you, you'll succeed. You'll love it. It'll go well. And so we'll, we'll take smaller steps. And and the goal is the ultimate goal is we come to a place after a few weeks where we really feel comfortable praying, to where we can do what we call topical prayer. And let me describe. Let me kind of paint, paint a picture. Pick, uh, picture a group that's together. It's almost as if Jesus is in the center of the room. We've already talked about it. he's there, right? And someone brings up a topic. You know, John's uh, son is having trouble in high school, and he's kind of described, and, and a picture of Jesus was there. I and mean, we wouldn't go on, I wouldn't start to Jesus and say, let me tell you my 19 requests, right? I'd bring up one at a time. And I'd say, can we talk about John's son? And Jesus really needs you to help us with this. And you might have something you want to ask Jesus about John's son too. And so you might ask about that and say, could you also help, some, help him with this? And someone else says, Lord, also, what you could you provide some new friends for him? He needs some new influences in his life. And we would talk about John's son. And then when we're done with that, we move on to a different topic. Well, that's the idea of topical prayer. It's basically that we just pray one topic at a time. We bring it up together. Whoever in the group feels passionate about that topic can, can pray about that. Three or four people might pray, then someone else brings up another topic, we'll go on and move on that. And we just kind of, we're all together in this thing, you see? Now there in your note sheet, on the the homework sheet on the back, there's some basic principles of how this will work, and your leader will talk to you more about it this week and in the coming weeks. But here's how it works. There's three basic uh, tips or guidelines for topical prayer. First of all, we pray on one topic at a time, we talked about that. Secondly, we're going to ask the the groups to keep the prayers short and simple to the point so we don't lose track of what we're praying about because we're all entering in on this one topic. And so we just keep it simple and short. And God, would you do this? And thank you for that. And, And we're all participating. And then number three, we're going to pray more than once. Since we're praying one topic at a time, and since we're praying short prayers, it makes it really easy to jump in several times during the prayer time. And so instead of you, just like your turn and you pray for five minutes. Next person, they pray for five minutes. We go around. We can all just be in this together. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to try prayer this way. It's a very powerful way to have group prayer to stay focused uh, together and to all participate. It's amazing how much more powerful it is than just kind of going kind of a, that, uh, a way where one person prays for five minutes and everyone else listens, you know. So we're going to be trying that, see how that works in your group and your group will work it out. Well, you'll find the way that works best for you. Now, Let's wrap this thing up. The last three weeks, we've been talking together about what does it mean to do life together. And we've, we've taken a fresh look, a new look at the ancient church. What was life really like? And, and the reason we've been doing that, I want to be clear, is we've been drawing a target on the side of the building at Rocky Peak. We've been saying, what does it look like as we move into the fall as the church of Rocky Peak? What does it look like to be the church of Jesus? What is he after? What's his vision? Why did he create this community called the church? And so we've taken three weeks to go back week by week and get another piece of the puzzle. What does it mean to be the church of Jesus? So during this series, we've been drawing a a target on the side of the building. This is what we're aiming for. Okay, the next series, we're starting next week, is called Seven Habits. It's called The Company of the Committed. Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. And if this series is about putting the target on the side of the, the wall, this is what we're shooting for, the next series is how do we get there? As a church, how do we hit that target? And we're going to be talking about seven specific, you could call them commitments, habits, priorities, steps, whatever works for you. But seven specific priorities that I believe need to be habits in our life. In other words, a regular part of our life if we're going to be the church that Jesus is calling us to be. Every week we'll be taking one of the seven and really looking at this: what the scripture says. What does the Bible say about that? Why is this such an important part of our life? And every week I won't be asking you to make a commitment to that that seven. Every week I'll be asking you, okay, you have your Bibles, you open it up, you see what it says to you, see if this makes sense. You can see why it's so important. And I'll be asking you every week to go home and be praying about that commitment. But we won't be making any commitments. We're just, we're just examining the commitments. But at the end of the seven weeks, as a congregation in one of our weekend services, we'll actually have a time where I'll give you a chance to say, okay, so we've gone over these seven commitments. You've had seven weeks to think about it, seven weeks to pray about it, seven weeks to think this thing through now we have to decide as a church are we going to take this journey together are we willing to make these seven commitments are we willing to make these seven ingredients a part of our habits a part of the way we do life and we'll actually have a big ceremony and we're going to have a a big banner in here that say come to the committed and you'll have a chance to sign your name and so remember what jesus said he said before you build a building You want to count the costs. Think it through. And so we're going to have seven weeks to think this through together and to see if these things seem true to you. And if they do, then at the end, we'll have a a part of our weekend service. We'll be able to say these are the seven things. By the way, these have become the seven things that, from this point on, define membership at Rocky Peak. If we're going to be a member of Rocky Peak, this is what it means that we are on board with these seven commitments. For those of you who have been at Rocky Peak for a long time, uh if you've been through the membership class before there's really not new things they're just i've looked at the old materials and i'm doing them in different ways arranging them in different ways but they really there used to be 10 things i've to seven but they're, they're just kind of reorganized in different ways but if you're a member you've already in theory made these commitments you know but we i think it's really important for us as a church as we come together to say okay what are we shooting for are we on board are we going to commit ourselves to go there? I'm really excited. I think it's the most important series we will have done to date, and it will define us for the future. So I'd encourage you to do all you can to be here all the seven weeks. If you can't be here, Uh, Be sure to download it from our website, the, the message, or to get a CD so you can be part of the process as we move towards that day where, like in the day of Nehemiah, the leaders came forward and said, we sign our names to this. We are making these commitments, and it's sort of our way as a church of moving forward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for what you've done these last three weeks as you've been preparing us to enter the fall as a church. God, today we've talked about the, uh, the signature of the supernatural, and so much, Lord, we want to have that here at Rocky Peak. Lord, I just think of your word that says, the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. God, we don't want to be a church that's about words. We want to be a church that's about experiencing your power in fresh and new ways. May you lead us that way. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, God's on the move here, and I'm so thankful. We can all be a part of that. We're moving into the fall together. May this be a fall where you experience God's presence in your life in new ways, perhaps ways you've never experienced it. May, as a church, may we experience the signature of the supernatural on our church, whether it's here at our weekend services or in these many churches, all over these three values. The Apostle Paul once said, the kingdom of God does not consist in words. The kingdom of God consists in power. That's the signature of the supernatural. It's change lives. May God be working in your life this fall that you'd experience him as the the, uh, change agent in your life in new ways you've never experienced before. God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you next week as we kick off the new series.